The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Would you turn with me to two places? First of all, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, you can bookmark that or stick something in your Bibles to, uh, we'll go there later in the sermon, Matthew 18. And we're going to spend the bulk of our time in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This morning we look at a message I've entitled, Protection. We'll be reading verses 18 through 20. I'll be reading from the NIV. Beginning in verse 18, Timothy, my son, I am keeping, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith a good con- and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck regarding their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I've handed them over to Satan so they'll be taught not to blaspheme. Father, as we look at a difficult teaching today, look at a hard teaching, look at the topic of discipline within the body, church discipline, discipline of those who were false teachers and others, God, I pray that you would guard our hearts. I pray that you would guard my mouth. I pray that you would teach us truth, and I pray that holiness would be the outcome of this. I pray that we would have a desire to be holy people. I pray that our body would be that which is holy, not perfect, because none of us are. But that we would recognize the importance of repenting of sin and embracing you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Nobody likes to be disciplined. I mean, nobody enjoys being disciplined. I mean, how many of you with little kids have had them walk up to you uh, with their paddle or Mr. Sadspoon, as our grandkids call it, in their hand saying, Mommy, I I need a spanking for what I just did. I mean, none of your little kids done it. How many of you have teenagers and those teenagers walked up to you and said, Dad, I really messed up. I need to be grounded this entire weekend. You would wonder what alien just invaded their body. I mean, it doesn't work that way. No one likes to be disciplined. Athletes appeal suspensions. Workers appeal being written up. Speeders appeal getting stopped. I mean, we've got a number of law enforcement folks here. Uh, You never hear, thanks, officer, I deserve that when you give my ticket, do you? Unless you ticket my mom. That happened to her once. She and my dad were headed to Mount Rushmore on vacation, and uh, dad pulled over, said it's time for you to drive, and you take a nap, and uh, the highways are clear, and there's nobody out of here, put, your, put the pedal to the metal, we'll make it to our hotel. Uh, she crested a hill a few hours later, and when she did, uh, one of South Dakota's finest pulled her over. My dad said, this is really going to cost you. She was gone way too fast, and uh, long story short, when he finally wrote up the ticket, he gave it to her. My dad had said, this will probably be a couple hundred bucks. When he gave it to her, it was only $60, and when she saw that, she reached up and said, thank you, and gave him a kiss right on the cheek. (laughs) He said, ma'am, I've never been kissed by anybody I've given a ticket before. This is a first in my experience as a police officer. Nobody likes to be disciplined except on rare occasion. The church at Ephesus was being attacked internally by false teachers. Paul calls out two of these men who were sowing seeds of discord by teaching false doctrine. They were blaspheming. They were defaming the name of the Savior. Paul had said he had done that himself in the previous section that we looked at last week in chapter 1, verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer. Paul said, I was one who defamed the name of Christ as well. 
But Timothy, there is in your church two men, Alexander Hymenaeus, men who are blaspheming God. They're defaming the name of Christ in their teaching. Timothy, you've got to do something about it. In fact, Timothy, I need you to protect your faith, and then I need you to protect the faith of those in the church. That's why the message this morning is called Protection. Timothy is a shepherd, shepherding the flock at Ephesus. That's the church he is pastoring. And Timothy, you've got to protect your faith. And Timothy, you have to protect those in the church as well. Timothy, verse 3, he says, I need you to stay at Ephesus. I need you to deal with the false teachers who are there, these men who are teaching strange doctrine. The, the message some of you need to hear today is that God loves the prodigal. God loves the prodigal. But, but he loves us so much and he has so much compassion for us that his love for us includes discipline when we need to be restored. His love for us includes discipline when we need to be restored. Jot down Hebrews 12, take a look at it later. There's a passage in there on God's disciplining his children. Discipline is not only what God does to restore the fallen, but discipline is an instruction given to the church to protect the flock. Discipline is not only something that God does. Discipline is something that church leaders are supposed to do to protect the flock that they have been given oversight over. At Temple Bible Church, in the 31 years, 31 and a half years I've been here now, we have exercised public church discipline, I think, eight different occasions, where we have gone repeatedly to a person who is in sin. They are leaders in our body. They are unrepentant. And after many, many hours of meeting, after many times seeking to restore them to walk with Christ, they refuse to give up the sin, refuse to give up the teaching, and eventually the elders of the church gather together and we publicly discipline them. We excommunicate, we disfellowship, whatever you want to call it. We church them. We ask them not to be part of our body. And it's a painful, painful process. We have done it with weeping and with tears. And I pray I never have to do it again. I pray that we never have to be involved in that again. Often we've gone to folks privately. It's a big question for us. How do you execute church discipline in a large church? We've got over 3,000 folks on a Sunday. Many of you don't know the people that come the other hour. Many of you don't know the people sitting next to you this Sunday. So how do you do it? When do you do it? Where do you do it? We wrestle with those questions as church leaders. But the scriptures are clear. Timothy, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to take care of the flock. And you're going to see in a second as we look at Matthew 18 that there's a time when we're supposed to do that as a body as well. And so this morning we're going to look at some hard teaching, some difficult teaching, but teaching that we need to hear. And my prayer is we walk out of this place with a higher view of who our God is, a higher view of what our church does, and a desire to walk in holiness before him. That's my prayer for the outcome of this morning's message. So with that as our desired outcome, let's look at what the Word of God says. First of all, he says, Timothy, I need for you to protect your faith. Timothy, above all, I I need for you to protect your faith. He he begins this section, he says, uh, in verse 18, he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies made about you. What command is he giving to Timothy? I mean, it's the first question we have to ask. Timothy, I'm giving you this command. What's the command? The command is found in verse 3. Timothy, I need you to stay at Ephesus to to, to instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Timothy, here's what I need for you to do. Timothy, in the midst of all that's happening at Ephesus, I need you not to cut and run. I need you to stay and deal with the issues. 
Hey, Timothy, the command I'm giving you to do that. And, and in verse 5 he says, hey, here's another command. Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love. Timothy, we're not here to destroy people. We're not here to maim people. We are here to love people. And sometimes that love will involve discipline just as it does with a parent disciplining their kids. Timothy, when we do that, we do it with a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Timothy, when you instruct these people, when you command these people, when you, you go to these false teachers, Timothy, your attitude is as important as, just as important as what you say. In fact, it's quite interesting when you look at verses 18 through 20, there's a great correlation to what takes place in the first, in verses 3, 4, and 5 of uh, the same chapter. If you look at verse 5, he talks about a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. And if you, if you look at the, what's there, you can look up on the screen in front of you. He says, hold on to faith, a good conscience. He had earlier said those same things, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Paul is reiterating to Timothy what he should do. He says, Timothy, in accordance with the commands given to you, or the command given to you, in keeping with the prophecies. Now, what were the prophecies given to Timothy? What were the prophecies given to Timothy? I don't know. I, I, I can't look at you and say, well, this is what was said about Timothy to the godly men who talked to him at the time of whenever they laid hands or whatever they did. We don't know that. There are times when I come to the scriptures, quite honestly, and, and I'm thinking, God, why didn't you fill in the blanks? You ever do that as you read through the scriptures? I, I mean, right now I'm reading through the Bible in a year, and I'm in that section in uh, Exodus where it's all about the tabernacle. And uh, two nights ago, I'm reading this stuff, and it's like, you know, uh, God, why so much detail? I mean, all this detail about the construction of the tabernacle, the way it should be constructed, the type of wood it should be constructed, the curtains and all that stuff. You ever do that? That's usually when people quit reading through the Bible in a year, right about there. And I'm thinking, I'm the furthest thing from an engineer. I, I'm the other kind of guy. I mean, I, I, construction, honestly, we built a lot of buildings here, and uh, we're, we're currently building a house. My parents are living with us. We're doing that. Quite, quite honestly, I, I'm not a construction guy. I, you know I've got two things in my toolbox, right, guys? Two things. I've told you this a hundred times. What are they? Duct tape, WD-40. That's all you need. That's all you need, guys. If it moves and it shouldn't, you've got duct tape. And if it shouldn't, it doesn't, you get WD-40. You're done. Boom. But, but I, I look at that section in Exodus, all these details. Then I come to a passage like this, and he says, Timothy, I want you to do this in keeping with the prophecies made over you. I'm thinking, what prophecies? Tell us what you told Timothy. But he doesn't fill in the blanks. We don't find it anywhere in the Scriptures. But whatever it is, it must be, Timothy, be encouraged by the things that were said about you uh, so that you recall them, you'll fight the good fight. If you get the old King James, it doesn't say you may fight the battle well. The old King James or the New American Standard says, so Timothy, you'll fight the good fight. Whatever these prophecies were, Paul's telling Timothy, stay and combat these false teachers. Deal with the error that's in the church. And Timothy, if you need some courage, remember the things that were spoken into your life in these prophecies so that when you recall them, you won't give up. Timothy, you'll fight the good fight. Timothy, the, the important thing here is you've got to protect your faith. If you're going to deal with these issues, Timothy, your faith has got to be protected. And so, Timothy, fight the good fight. Timothy, you're a young pastor. You're a young pastor. Timothy, you're going to deal with some tough stuff. Don't give up. Don't become so disillusioned and so discouraged that you quit fighting. You know, when you do ministry, it may be as a pastor... It may be as a small group leader. It may be ministering to our kids. It may be ministering to our youth. It may be ministering in the workplace. 
It may be as a counselor. It may be as a, 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 as a servant in our community. It, it may be you serve on city council, school boards, whatever else, and you're doing it as a ministry. When you do things as ministry, sometimes it's difficult. I, I don't get phone calls and say, Gary, the bluebell truck is turned over. Come and join me. If I get a phone call, it's because there's disease, there's disaster, there's depression, there's death, there's divorce, there are financial struggles, there's abuse, there, there are criminal issues, there, there are sexual issues, there are marital issues. I, I praise God for the gifts he's, he's given and that, uh, that we can use our gifts, all of us, not just me, but the whole body to do that. But there are times when the load is heavy. And he says, Timothy, fight the good fight. Timothy, you're going to deal with some tough stuff, Timothy, but but don't give up. These prophecies were made to encourage you. So, Timothy, don't give up. Keep fighting. And for some of you, the message today needs to stop right there. I mean, really, the the message you need today stops right there. Fight the good fight. Some of you walked in about to give up. Some of you given up on life. Suicide has been in your mind for a while. Some of you about to give up on the spiritual life. You're thinking, if I don't hear a word from Gary today or from the word of God today, I'm done with this stuff. Some of you about to give up on a marriage. Some of you about to give up on some friendships or relationships. Some of you about to give up on the church. And God says, don't quit. Don't stop. Don't stop. If you read about car races or you read about animal races like horses or dogs or anything else, or or if you read about... uh, Automobile races like NASCAR and uh, all this other stuff, which I still don't get why guys watch that all day long, cars going in circles, but send me your nasty emails, guys, and tell me why I should be watching that. But anyway, if you see at the end of that DNF, what does that stand for? Did not finish. If there's anything being one place for three decades is done, I've watched a lot of people didn't finish, and it's a tragedy. They gave up fighting the good fight. Somewhere along the line, they got way late. Either they were disappointed in maybe me as a pastor or somebody else on our staff or some elder, or they became disappointed and disillusioned in some relationship within the body, or Satan came and stole and destroyed them, or maybe the worries of the world or the deceitfulness of riches and the parable of the sower has choked out the life in them, and they are DNFs. They didn't finish. There's a story of a guy named Mamo Waldi. Mamo Waldi. Here's his picture, if I can get there. Look at his right leg. See his right leg? Now, he is not a shot putter. Can you tell by the way he looks? (laughs) What do you think he was running? Marathon. In the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, Mamo Waldi was favored to win the marathon. He was from Ethiopia. But somewhere about mile 14 or 15, he bumped against someone else and he went tumbling and he went tumbling. He tore up his leg. Uh, Officials came over there and they bandaged it up and he realized not only would he not win the race, but he might not finish the race. But he got up. In pain and grimacing, he got up and he plotted on. After the final runner made it across the finish line, the stadium began to empty until they saw the lights from two motorcycles, actually, on either side of this man. 
even though he realized he would come in dead last after being favored to win the gold medal. He got up and finished the race. Newspaper reporters asked him, why did he do that? His answer is classic. My country did not send me 7,000 miles to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to Mexico City to finish the race. Isn't that the way you want to be? I, I don't want to be the guy on the sidelines who gets bungled up and bandaged up and says, I quit. I'm done. It's too difficult. I, I want to be Mama Waldy who says, you know what? My God picked me not to start this race, but my God picked me to finish this race. And by his grace and his grace alone, I pray that I make it to the end. I, I pray that I will not be the guy who, who falls and who falters and who doesn't continue. Why don't you make that your prayer as well? God, help me not to be a DNF. But help me to be a man or a woman who finishes strong. Even if I stumble along the way, even if I struggle, that I'll finish the race before me. Paul says, Timothy, you've got to protect your faith. But Timothy, not only that, you've got to protect the faith of those in the church. Timothy, there's the issue of you, but Timothy, there's the issue of others. Look at the end of verse 19. Some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered over Satan. Notice a couple of things about those verses. First of all, Paul calls them out. Paul doesn't, he, he mentions names. He doesn't mention meat about it. He, he doesn't say there are a few guys there. He says there are two guys, Timothy, in the body that are causing problems. They're false teachers, and you've got to do something about it. I've started the process, Timothy. You've got to finish the process. That's why I need you to stay there, Timothy. Notice that the issue is blasphemy. The issue is they are defaming the name of God. He delivers them over to Satan. What in the world does that mean? I mean, Paul says, Timothy, I want you to know, Alexander Hymenaeus, I've delivered these dudes over to Satan. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's an issue of sexual immorality within the church. And in fact, it's it's an issue of a young man sleeping with a stepmother. And the church at Corinth have done nothing about it. In fact, Paul says there exists an immorality among you that is even greater than the immorality of the Gentiles, and you've done nothing about it. And in the midst of that, Paul says this, he says, hand this young man over to Satan, this man over to Satan, for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. He looks at the church at Corinth and he says, you've got a problem, you're allowing sin to exist in your midst, you're not doing anything about it, and it would be better for you to deal with this young man so that his soul can be saved, even though his body is destroyed. He says, I have turned him over, I have placed this man into the hands of Satan. What does it mean? Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.20, he says, Alexander Hymenaeus have delivered over Satan. This guy had delivered over Satan. He'd taken him out of the realm of the church and placing him into the realm of the world. That's what it means. The realm of the world, Satan is the prince of this world. God is more powerful than he is. He is not all powerful. But God says there is a time in the life of a church when someone is doing that which is disruptive in the life of that church, some type of sin that takes place where you go to them and they don't deal with the sin, that you as a church leadership have to deal with that sin and you have to remove them. That's basically what's happening there. Now, if I'm sitting where you're sitting, I've got a bunch of questions. So the elders at TBC go on manhunts. I mean, are you guys out there looking around to see who's in sin so you can call us up? And No, we're, we're not a bunch of witch hunters. But when things come to our attention, when it's brought to our plight, 
we do deal with it. Scriptures tell us how to deal with it. We'll show you in a second. Hey, we're not on a witch hunt. I can tell you when you it's a handful of times we have publicly disciplined folks, and it's only after repeated efforts of seeking to restore those brothers or sisters to the Savior that we did that. Have we done it right all the time? No. There are times we should have disciplined folks and didn't? Yes. Now we typically go privately and do that individually, and I'll show you why in a second. But there are times when the scriptures say you're to bring it before the body. And I can tell you it's not uncaring and not unloving. I can tell you it's done with weeping. It's done in tears. It's on our knees. And it's done after lengthy times of prayer together and seeking to restore that brother or sister. Paul says you've got to place this guy in the world. You've got to do it to Alexander and Hymenaeus. I've done it already. So I did it with this guy there. There comes a time when you have to discipline comes a time where the purity of the body and the holiness of God should take precedence over anything else that is happening. If I'm sitting out there, the other question I have is, Gary, they did this to false teachers? I mean, what are we talking about? Are we talking about people with different views on what? I mean, we're talking about the fundamentals of the faith here. You've got a different view on end times. We're not going to discipline you. On our elder board, we have varying views on end times. If you've got a different view on the gifts of the Spirit, we're not going to discipline you. If you have different views on the role of women. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. That's, that's not a, that, that, we're not talking about those things. It, 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 we're talking about fundamentals of the faith. On our website, if you go to our website, we have, under the doctrinal area, you can download the whole Constitution, the doctrinal section, but we've chosen five things to put there for folks that either want to read about it or visit TBC. So you go to our website, here are some of the, not, here are some of the essentials that we will not compromise over. We believe that the Scriptures are divinely inspired, authoritative, and errant word of God is originally given. If you are teaching at Temple Bible Church and you begin to teach that the Scriptures are just a storybook, that they're not really true, that they're myth, that they're allegory, we're going to come and have a visit with you. And we're going to ask you not to teach those things or to leave. Here's another thing. We, we believe in God eternally existing in three equal persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You, you have a teaching role at Temple Bible Church. We're not talking about if you're visiting, if you're checking us out, if you're new in the faith, if you're growing. But if you're teaching at Temple Bible Church and you're saying, you know, polytheism is the answer, that there are really three separate gods, not one, or uh, something like that, we're going to come, we're going to visit, we're going to ask you not to teach those things or to leave. We believe that Jesus is a divine, eternal Son of God. We believe in his virgin birth, real humanity, full deity, death for our our full deity, death for our sins, literal resurrection, rapture of his church, and millennial reign as king of kings. Uh, let's pick something out of that. If you begin to say he is not truly God, he is not full deity, then we're going to come and visit. And if you refuse to, not, to quit teaching that, then we will discipline you and ask you not to be part of our church. Uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit is a divine person who convicts, regenerates, and dwells, baptizes, and teaches, fills, and empowers all people. We believe, these are five statements on the website, I just copied them off of that. We believe that salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, this salvation cannot be lost. If you're a teacher at Temple Bible Church and you begin to teach that there's salvation in, you name it, or salvation by works or some other means of salvation, we will visit. If you refuse to quit teaching that, obviously we're not going to let you teach. And if you continue to sow swords of discord, sow, uh, seeds of discord in our church, we will discipline you and ask you to leave. We're not on a witch hunt. We've done it seven times in 31 years. 
But when we begin to compromise, one of the problems in the church of the world today is we've compromised so much in these areas. You can show up, you can show up without a Bible and never think about it because nobody looks at it. You can believe whatever you want. Nobody cares. And we will not do that here. Because God cares, we care. We do have doctrine. Now, I love what Augustine said. He said, in essentials, we'll have unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things love. I believe that. They're essentials that are non-compromisable. We will not compromise the essentials of the faith. But there are many things that are non-essentials. Many things are not essential. In times, you may be pre-mill, you be I-mill, you may be post-mill, you, be, you may be pan-mill. You know, it's all going to pan out in the end. I don't really understand the others anyway. Um, I mean, you've got, I, I, I know what I believe. I'm still pre-mill. And you can believe, you've got a right to be wrong in those other views if you want. That's what I tell folks. <laughs> but, the, but that's not an issue of fellowship. Is it? That's not an issue of fellowship. But if you are living in blatant sin and part of this body and we find out, we will come to you, we will talk to you, we will lovingly care for you, we will help you. After we've taken the two-by-fours out of our eyes, hopefully we will point you in the direction of the Savior and His holiness. That's our desire. And guys, I've wept. I've been on my knees in living room with my elders weeping, God, bring this person to repentance. God, we don't want to read a letter. God, we, we, before we do that, we always call at the 12th hour, literally, when the third service is older, and we say, over, and we say, we've got a family matter to deal with. If you feel like you're part of the family of TBC, if you stick around, we have an issue we need to deal with, and we do it with tears. You've seen it, maybe. Pray we never have to do it again. We're not in a witch hunt. But if it comes to our attention, we will deal with it. That's our responsibility. That's our privilege to point you to a Savior that you know and love. The purpose of discipline, to restore the unrepentant, to purify the church, to deter sin. If you want to study this further, look at Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. It's spelled out there. In fact, you've got Matthew 18 bookmark, and uh, let's take a look at that section real quickly. In Matthew 18, it talks about how we're to go through this process, the process of discipline. In fact, I think I've got it. Actually, I think I've got it in front of you. Process of discipline, Matthew chapter 18. No, I don't. Matthew chapter 18. Beginning in verse, let's see, 15. If your brother sins, post it on Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. Drives me nuts. I'm on Facebook. I've got like 2,000 friends I've never met before. (laughs) And honestly, I see what you post. And there are a lot of times I'm praising God for the things our people post. There are other times I'm thinking, why would you say that? Why would you publicly say that about someone else? Why would you put your half-nude picture out there for somebody to see? Why would you do that? Why would you tell somebody where you're gone all the time? I think people have way more time than I've got. I just checked in. So I could care less where you eat dinner. (laughs) I mean, what is the point? Anyway, that's a whole other topic for another day. (laughs) 
if your brother sins, text your friends and let them know what happened. If your brother sins, share it as a prayer request this Sunday night. If your brother sins, call a friend and talk about it. If your brother sins, email Gary and let him take care of it. What's it say? If your brother sins, go and reprove him how? In private. In private. A lot of us ought to start confessing sin right about right now. You've been wagging your tongues about other people. You've been saying things about folks you shouldn't be saying. You've been spreading gossip, and it's just wrong. It's just wrong. You go to your brother, and you reprove him. You correct him. If he listens to you, you want a brother. And I can tell you over and over, I have seen God do this. I have seen this happen hundreds of times. You come to my office, you say, Gary, i got a problem with this person. My question is, are they a believer? Yeah. Have you talked to him? If you haven't, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, you know, our conversation ends. Go and deal with that. Then if it doesn't work out, come back to me and we'll deal with it. Because in verse 16 it says, if he didn't listen to you, take one or more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact can be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to those witnesses, then you tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, then you cast him out. You treat him as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. He says, there is a process to go through. The process is it begins privately, then it becomes public, and you deal with it first at that level. And by God's grace, the majority of issues that are of conflict in the body or even within homes are dealt with in private, and I praise God for that. That's why he gives godly men and women in a body, godly pastors to do counseling, and folks in the body to do those things so that we can work those things out. The attitude of discipline is grieving for the unrepentant. I can tell you the times we've done that have been with brokenness and tears. And if your heart's not right, don't enter the process. The hope of discipline is repentance and restoration of the fallen. We have slayed the fatted calf on two occasions where we have publicly disciplined folks. They have turned back to Jesus. I've done a marriage of a couple that were broken up and got back together. Sin was involved in the whole process. We publicly disciplined. And I'll never forget the day we stood before this body and said, this is our brother. He has repented. He and his wife have remarried. And by God's grace, we're gone out and we're having a big dinner today. We're going to slay the fatted calf. 24-ounce bone-in ribeye at Eddie V's. Nothing like it. (laughs) So what happened at Ephesus? What happened at Ephesus? What happened at Ephesus? Before Timothy was ever written, before the book of 1 Timothy was ever written, Paul spent three years at Ephesus. 1 Timothy would be written about eight years afterwards, eight to ten years afterwards. So this is eight to ten years before. Paul gathers the elders of the church at Ephesus. He's at the seashore. He's ready to leave. He spent three years with them. And he gives them this warning. He says, keep watch over yourselves, brothers. Keep watch of the flock of God, which you've been made. the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You're the elders. Watch over the body. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Because I know after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. He says, you're going to have folks come from the outside, and they're going to try and attack the church at Ephesus. And not only that, even from your own number, even from the inside, guys like Alexander Hymenaeus, ten years, eight to ten years later, they're going to rise up, distort the truth, and draw disciples after them. He says, I want to warn you, brothers, if you're going to shepherd the flock, you have to be on guard because false teachers will come in. They will teach things that are untrue. And if you're not careful, they're going to come in and destroy the body. So you've got to protect the body. Timothy, you've got to protect the body. Eight years later, he's writing those words in First Timothy. Timothy, be strong. Protect your faith and protect the faith of the body. Don't you wonder what happened after 1 Timothy? I mean, Paul says, Timothy, these prophecies have been given to you. Timothy, stand strong, and and you've got to protect the body from Alexander and Hymenaeus. Well, it's quite interesting. We go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
First, I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy was written, I think, about five years after First Timothy. <clears throat> it's either four or five years. It can't be exact. Four or five years later, Paul writes to Timothy. <clears throat> Timothy has stayed at Ephesus. Timothy has pastored the church. Timothy has done well. And then you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, written four to five years after Paul's given these instructions about Alexander Hymenaeus. Look at what it says here. In 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 18, it says, Timothy, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in this will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among those are who? You ever seen that before? You ever look at the church at Ephesus and see this before? Four to five years later, Timothy, they're still Hymenaeus. Alexander, he's not mentioned. Hymenaeus is another disciple, Philetus. They've departed from the truth. They say the resurrection, not the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of saints has already happened. So that would mean we're in the kingdom age. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Hey, this is where I'd like to have some blanks filled in, wouldn't you? Don't you wonder what Timothy did with Hymenus? Did did he deal with him? If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Timothy, God has given you a spirit of boldness, not of timidity. Did Paul say that because Timothy didn't deal with Hymenus when he told him to four years earlier? I don't know doesn't say it. I did my master's thesis on this section of God's word. But we, don't, we don't know. We don't, we don't have an answer for that. Was Hymenus outside the church and lobbing grenades inside? I, I don't think so because it says uh, th- these guys you've got to avoid. So it tells me that they're probably inside the church. Timothy, avoid them. Was Hymenus a guy? Did Timothy do his job four years earlier? And Hymenius is one of those guys who's always looking for the next latest and greatest. You know those kind of folks? Any doctrine that comes down the pike, they're going to embrace unquestionably. With that, they're going to read a book and they're going to say, look at what this says. They're, they're going to do it undiscerningly. They're, they're just going to buy into everything that comes down the pike. And they're not going to be discerning in their thoughts. Maybe Hymenius was a guy like that. Maybe he says, you know, look at what this teaching is. The resurrection has happened. We're in the kingdom. And he leads people astray. I I don't know what happened here. But I do know this. Four to five years later, this dude is still wreaking havoc in the church at Ephesus. And Paul said, you've got to avoid these guys. They're like gangrene. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. So don't you wonder what happened after that? Do you know the Word of God talks about that? You fast forward about 20 years from 2 Timothy. Twenty more years go by. And John talks about the church at Ephesus in the Revelation. He says, you are doctrinally sound, but spiritually cold. You're doctrinally sound, but you're spiritually cold. Gary, where do you get that? I get that from Revelation chapter 2. It says, to the church at Ephesus, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, your perseverance. I know you don't tolerate wicked people. Hey, you got rid of those guys. You did a good job. You don't tolerate wicked people anymore. Not only that, you test those who claim to be apostles and they're not. False teachers come in and you find them to be false and you don't let them stay anymore. 
You have persevered. You have endured hardship and you haven't grown weary. You are finishing. DNF is not going to be next to your name. You test. You've got your doctrine straight. Everything is good. But, you know what the next verse says? I have this against you. You've left your first love. Hey, church at Ephesus, you've got the doctrine down. You don't tolerate bad people or bad stuff anymore. But now you don't love at all. You're cold. You ever walk in a church like that? I tell you, I pray all the time. TBC would be a place that's not only doctrinally sound, which we will be, but we are also filled with love for one another and God. Because if the two do not wed, we're wrong. We're wrong. It's a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching. But the reality of it is, when we do it the way God wants us to do it, our hearts will be filled with love and we'll deal with the issues at hand. Sometimes, love must hurt to help. Sometimes, love must hurt to help. Our grandkids were here last Saturday, came to spend the day with our daughter. Her husband had to go get some kind of continuing medical education. And uh, we're having a great time until one of them, Jackson, acted up. And uh, he, he got in trouble. Said something and did something he shouldn't have said or done. And I happened to see it. I was right there. The way he spoke to his mom was wrong. And so daddy's not there. So it's a difficult thing when you're a grandparent and have to discipline your grandkids. And so I went and got Mr. Sad Spoon. So Jackson, come with me to the back. When I was a kid, uh, my dad used a belt to spank us. And I've used this illustration a hundred times. When my dad took off his belt to spank me, the first thing that he said, this is going to... We all had the same dad. <laughs> I, I, I've, you know what? I've, I've used this in India, the Ukraine, Africa. Everybody got the same dad in the whole world. This is going to hurt you more. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you got to be kidding me. I'm getting ready to get wrapped with this thing. It's going to hurt you more. It's going to hurt me. And then he would say after that, I'm doing this because my dad really, really loved me. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> I take Jackson into our back bedroom. And uh, I don't know. I'm a too hanky guy at a John Wayne movie. I mean, I cry at anything. And I've got tears in my eyes. I'm getting ready to spank my grandkid. I got tears in my eyes and said, Jackson, this is going to hurt Papa. No way more is going to hurt you. <laughs> He's crying before I even hit him. <laughs> and Jackson, Jackson, I'm doing this because Papa Doe really loves you, and I don't want you to act like that anymore. Big old tears coming down his eyes. Bam, bam, bam. I'm crying more than he's crying. Sometimes love has to hurt if it's going to help. Sometimes the best thing we can do is come to a brother and say, if you remain in that immoral relationship, we're going to ask you not to be here. Sometimes we come to a sister and say, if you're going to live in bitterness and gossip about people in our body, 
and you're not going to repent of it and not give it up, it's better for you not to be here. And sometimes we're going to say, if you're going to teach that there's salvation in somebody other than Jesus, it's better for you not to be here. Now, by God's grace, most of the time that never happens. On rare occasion when it does, hopefully it's done with a proper heart, proper attitude, in a proper way, and there's repentance and there's many tears between me and Jackson, between me and you, when that happens, because sometimes love must hurt to help. Father, I pray. For some people, this is the strangest message I've ever heard because they don't know Jesus and they can't understand how a body would perceivingly be so unloving. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I'm not asking you to buy into this. I'm asking you to look at Jesus and recognize he gave his life on your behalf to be your Savior and you can have eternal life in him. But if you know the Savior, I pray that you will be one who recognizes your need to walk in holiness and purity. And if you choose to remain in blatant, rebellious sin, I pray that the hand of God would come upon you. None of us are perfect, but we desire to finish well. Father, I pray for myself. When Paul said he was a chief of sinners, I'm right in line behind him. I pray that you'll keep my heart tender, that when I sin, when I speak words I shouldn't say to my wife, when I think thoughts that I shouldn't think about others, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict me and I would be quick to confess to be in agreement with you. Spirit of God, I beg you to do that in my life. In the lives of my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.